I'm Jim Poland. And I'm Tom McKinnon. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, November 27th, 2012. Coming up in the weather, expect cloudy skies and a 40% chance of flu. And we'll find out what is in the American gut. Michael Pollan has agreed to be part of the study. We also have Shannon Ford, and Shannon was Miss United States 2011. She basically is gluten-free. She's going to make her results available so you'll be able to compare to Shannon. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. A new research study co-authored by CU Boulder scientist Diane McKnight reveals for the first time that a bacterial community survives in a place that seems impossible for any life. It's the dark, salty, super cold waters of an Antarctic lake that's buried under 65 feet of ice. Lake Vita contains no oxygen. It's mostly frozen, and it has the highest nitrous oxide levels of any natural water body on Earth. What's more, this frigid hellhole is six times saltier than seawater, and the average temperature in this Antarctic lake is minus 13 degrees Celsius. That's 8 degrees Fahrenheit. Core samples from Lake Vita indicate that bacteria have lived in its poisonous waters for over 3,000 years. The researchers suspect that bacteria eke out a living thanks to hydrogen, which is a byproduct of chemical reactions between Lake Vita's super salty water and iron-rich sediments at the pitch-dark bottom of the lake. The scientists add that their discoveries might provide clues about how life survives in other icy places on Earth, or perhaps icy worlds throughout the universe. This research by CU's Diane McKnight has just been published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. The Columbia Glacier in Alaska is a big contributor to sea level change. From 1995 till 2001, its melting ice accounted for half a percent of rising seas worldwide. And it didn't used to be that way. As far back as the 15th century, the glacier had been stable. It began rapidly melting in 1983 and hasn't stopped yet. Now a team of scientists, led by CU geographer William Colgan, has used computer modeling to predict when it will become stable again. The researchers started with a mathematical model of how the glacier tends to change. They tried to put in all the important physical parameters from air temperature at the top to the shape of the bedrock at the bottom. However, some of the parameters change unpredictably. An example is ice cliff height. Another is the typical distance a glacier slides. So the scientists did a sort of Monte Carlo computer dice throwing model where they ran tens of thousands of simulations, each with different random picks for the uncertain or changing numbers. They now predict that the Columbia Glacier will be back to equal equilibrium, not growing or retreating, by about 2020. They hope their work will help us better understand how and when glaciers all over the world will cause rising oceans. The new study was published yesterday in the journal, The Cryosphere. And in the weather, what if we're expecting partly cloudy skies and a 30% chance of flu? That forecast might be possible someday soon, thanks to a research collaboration between Columbia University and Boulder scientist Alicia Karspeck, who's at NCAR, the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Right now, Karspeck says, health officials cannot predict the flu. Health officials can report how many cases of the flu in retrospect. 
they can give you that information with a lag time of a couple weeks. So they can tell you what levels of flu you might have in a region maybe three weeks ago. For more current information, go to Google, which has discovered that certain search terms are good indications of flu activity. The website Google Flu Trends provides remarkably accurate reports about current flu outbreaks. However, Karspec says, what's happening now isn't the same as predicting what might happen next. Just to be clear, the Google Flu Trends will give you an estimate of what the flu might be in your region right at this moment. But it won't give you an estimate of the forecast. So that's the additional piece that we are adding. We're actually just taking that information and using it to make a forecast. Karspec says forecasting flu is similar to how weather experts used current data to predict where and when Hurricane Sandy would hit the East Coast. In order to know what the weather is today or the next day or the next day, you have to have information about what the state of the atmosphere is right now. This is called an initialization problem. So what we're bringing together is this new type of information which tells us what the flu is now in a region and combining that with a model of the dynamics of flu transmission that can use the information about what the flu is right now to then make forecasts into the future. Karspec says that accurate flu forecasts might someday help local health officials decide how many vaccines and antiviral drugs to stockpile and in severe flu years, whether to take other precautions, such as closing schools. Carspec's research is online in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jim Pullen. Up next, let's hear about a brand new citizen science project that involves the microbes in your gut. Scientists at CU Boulder and a New Orleans-based group called the Human Food Project. Together, these groups are trying to better understand health through an initiative they're calling the American Gut, where you can send the researchers a bit of cash and a tiny swab of your skin cells, your cheek cells, or a tiny stool sample. And they'll report back to you what microbes live on you and in you. For more, here's How on Earth's Shelley Slender talking with the founder of the Human Food Project, Jeff Leach. You would have to be living under a rock, I think, this year not to have known that the gut microbiome, which is all the intestinal microbes that live inside of our gut from mouth to the other end, that's called our microbiota. When you add up all their genes as well, you refer to that as the gut microbiome. You say that people would have to be living under a rock not to know about this, but do you know how many people have told me that they're shocked to find out that they have something icky like a microbe inside their guts? The old way of thinking about microbes was that, you know, microbes equal bad. So scrub them away, disinfect them away. We're now learning that we live in a kind of a symbiosis with most bacteria and that we do well to cultivate that relationship. In fact, thanks to work of people like you and like Rob Knight at CU, there's a greater understanding that if you don't have enough diversity in your gut microbiome, you're going to be sick. Yeah, that's true. The intestinal microbiota in the human body, you got to think of it like an ecosystem. It could be a pond, it could be a forest, it could be a rainforest. When you reduce diversity in those settings, you open up those systems to challenges. It could be predation, 
by animals. It could be predation by other plants. It could be short-term weather events that impact it and tip it into an altered state, which is, causes a problem. So the human ecosystem, which, by the way, the bacteria in the human body, if you add up all the strains and the species and all the substrains, it's one of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. So when we change our diet in dramatic ways, it impacts the diversity of our microbiota, which in turn opens us up potentially to disease. Now, Jeff Leach, people don't normally think of their diet as something that would affect the bugs inside of them. There's more publicity and more knowledge about the fact that taking too many antibiotics can make us sicker because it kills off our good bugs. When you take several courses of broad-spectrum antibiotics, it immediately reduces the diversity of bacteria in your body. And sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, or even years for it to rebound back to its original ecological state. And during that period, you've opened the pathogen's door to potentially getting sick. Just like running a tractor across a meadow can pave the way for crabgrass, taking antibiotics can pave the way for the bad stuff to take over. Absolutely. And again, the antibiotics shift your gut bugs in not such good ways, but also diet can have just as dramatic effect. You know, what diet should we be following? Should you be following a gluten-free diet? Should you be following organic? Should it be a Mediterranean, a Dash, an Atkins, a Weight Watcher? Should it be a paleo diet? Should it be a vegan or vegetarian diet? But we all know that the United States Department of Agriculture and U.S. Health Policy have already told us what a good diet is. Everybody's got a horse in this game. You're not ready to just take what the national recommendation is on face value. You think we need more research? The thing that, that I find fascinating is all the dietary recommendations that we talk about today on kind of in our national dialogue or our national debate about what should we eat, all of these diets and recommendations are based on what we should eat. None of them take into consideration that 90% of the cells in the human body are not even human, they're microbial. So what we really need is to start thinking about what should we feed not only our cells, but what should we be feeding our bacteria as well, because they need nutrients as well. Now, the bacteria aren't just there filling up space. They do things like they produce some of the nutrients that we need. They process them. They reduce the chance that bad guys will get through our intestines and into our bloodstream and make us sick. It's not just that they're there for a free ride. They're actually part of us doing some jobs. No, absolutely. Again, you have to think about kind of tending your microbial garden, if you will. And so what happens is when you change the nutrient input, which means you change the, the balance of nutrients that they've used to get, you change it, you, you basically mess with them. And when you do that, you change the abundance of certain kinds of bacteria, and at the same time, it increases the abundance of other bacteria. Now, let's talk about this American Gut Project, because you know what, Jeff Leach, there are not a lot of times that we in radio journalism get to discuss poop on the air for scientific reasons. How about it? American Gut Project was a, was a project that Rob Knight and I, Rob at the University of Colorado Boulder, came up with over the summer. They just had published 16 papers associated with the massive human microbiome project. And in that project, they did an extraordinary level of analysis on about 250 individuals. And these individuals were mainly college-age students in good health. This doesn't necessarily represent the American landscape, if you will. These were people that were in fairly good shape. So the question was this, could we use crowdfunding tools 
to number one, put into effect a project fairly rapidly and sample 10, 15, 20,000 people across the American landscape. And, and let's pause for a moment and talk about crowdfunded projects instead of waiting for the National Institute of Health to fund some unusual project or waiting for the most traditional source to fund a health project, which would be a drug company. Why not just go to people and ask them to join in for research by putting a bit of their money into the project to get some results back for themselves? Yeah, and this is a pure citizen science project. I mean, citizen science has been around for, you know, Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, basically all scientists were basically citizen scientists. Very few people got paid to do science. You know, before Benjamin Franklin flew that kite, you know, he made money as a politician and as a printer. When Charles Darwin sailed on that famous boat, not that long ago, he was an unpaid passenger. He wasn't a paid naturalist or botanist, if you will. Citizen science, you know, either counting birds, counting flowers, counting stars in the solar system, is a great way to get the general public involved in amassing data so that you can move science forward. So the gut microbiome, everybody's interested in food. As far as I'm concerned, food and what's in our food and health is kind of this generation's civil rights movement. And so it's something everybody can get behind. So what we want to do is create a project where people could donate to the project. And through that donation, they would be able to participate themselves. And we would create this massive open source database. This project is also part of the Earth Microbiome Project. The Earth Microbiome Project is a large initiative to basically sequence the Earth, all living organisms, you know, from one end to the next. And that project's being run by Jack Gilbert and Rob Knight, also at the University of Colorado as part of that project as well. American Gut is part of the Earth Microbiome Project in that all the data we generate will be available to any scientist anywhere in the world that wants to use it, which is very unique. And also it will be available to citizens. Me, for instance, I can look at this data also. One key is how do we provide data to you? How do we citizens do that? Anybody that wants to help out with this project and become part of the American Gut, they can donate to the project. You can just Google American Gut and find us. It's going to close on January 7th, so anybody that wants to participate has to get involved before then. Anybody that donates to the project signs up. Mid to late January, they will receive a home kit where they'll be able to collect samples at home. Now, when you say samples, what does that mean? Stool sample. So stool sample, does that mean what I think it means? It's not as much as you think it means. It's actually just a small swab that goes inside of a little cylinder. It's very easy. You take it yourself. Uh, you can do it any given morning. And we're also doing as well, because not only are we interested in the gut microbiome, but there's an amazing amount of interesting research on the skin microbiome. The skin communities are very different than the gut communities. We're also doing oral as well. We know that the oral communities are very different from the skin, which is also different from the gut. If I have a child who's prone to ear infections, could I do a swab of their ear canal and send that to you? Well, we're not doing ear. We're doing things like palms and mouths. Palms, mouths, and uh, feces. Anybody that joins the study will receive a kit at home. There will be a very detailed instructions, very easy to follow. Take the samples, send it back to us. You'll mail them back to the University of Colorado. But here's the most important part of the project. They'll ask you things like your age, your BMI. That's your body mass index. That's how big or skinny you are, basically. Actually, a correction would be we wouldn't ask you for that. We would just ask you for your weight and your height, and we'll calibrate it ourselves. But anybody can get this with a tape measure and a weight scale. They can give you some data. I, I guess this would be important to give you data because you want to be able to compare samples to what kind of person 
is giving you the sample. We also want to know if you live in a rural setting or city. We want to know if you have dogs in the house. Well, that's right, because your data has shown that people who live around more animals, especially at an early time of life, are less likely to have autoimmune diseases. So those things really do matter. Get a large enough sample across the United States, you know, from one end of the United States to the next. We'll have different environmental zones. We'll have people that live very different lifestyles. We'll, we want to know if you take antibiotics. We want to know if you have any conditions like diabetes or Alzheimer's. We want to know if you're breastfeeding. We can include individuals anywhere from three months and older. So if people want to enroll their babies that are breastfeeding, we'd love to have that as well. We're also allowing people to enroll their dogs and cats if they like, because there's a large growing data set on canine and feline microbiomes, if you will. But the most important part of this questionnaire is the dietary information. And this is something we're going to ask you to fill out in detail. We need to know what you eat. For example, if you're a vegetarian or if you follow a gluten-free diet or if you're a paleo dieter, so, for example, if we have a big population of vegans and vegetarians, do they look different than regular omnivores or people that follow a paleo diet? But are you curious about whether they eat 50% of their diet as sugar or 10%? Or are you interested in whether they eat 10% of their diet as fat or 80%? Do those kind of ratios matter to you? Matter a lot. Well, then that means that you're going to have to have people actually measure how much food they're eating because otherwise they'll just imagine something and they'll think they'll be right and they might not be. No, that's correct. Because one of the things that we're going to ask you to do, and the information's on the website now, is for three days we're going to ask you to use one of these online calorie counters. They're fairly easy to use. You just input for three days what you eat for three days, and you're going to, at the end of that three days, we're going to ask you to take your sample, okay? That sample means either the skin or the stool or the inside of your mouth? So you'll take that sample at the end of the three days. What we don't want people to do is dramatically change their diet just because they're part of this study. Just do what you regularly do during any given week. You might record data for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and take your sample Friday morning. Once we create this community, we'll be able to work with this community of people over the next couple of years. So, for example, let's say you submit a sample and you get your results back, and we show you here's a list of all the bacteria in your gut, for example. Let's say you self-identify as a vegetable vegetarian living in a city, okay? Uh, we'll compare all vegetarians living in cities to vegetarians, let's say, that don't live in cities, or vegetarian females in cities compared to omnivore women that live in the Northeast. What if I don't want to know how I compare that way? What if I just want to know how I compare to Lady Gaga? Could I find that out? Well, we're still working on Lady Gaga. She hasn't returned any of our emails, but Michael Pollan has agreed to be part of the study. We also have Shannon Ford, and Shannon was Miss United States 2011. She basically is gluten-free. She's going to make her results available. She'll be able to compare to Shannon. Carnes, which I don't think I pronounced his name wrong, but he's probably the world's greatest athlete. He's that guy that ran 50 marathons in 50 days, and he's going to make his results available as well. So we'll be able to compare you to, let's say, forget how you break out, but how do people in Colorado compare to hunter-gatherers in Africa? Or how do people in Colorado compare to just people in New York? And then we start to break it down into smaller and smaller groups. And so this will give you some good data for looking at yourselves to compare different groups of people. And all of that's intriguing, and it might educate me, but do we really know yet what we're looking for? 
No, that's a great question. And that's why we're doing this study. We have no idea how these varied diets affect the microbiota in large populations. So once we have the data in hand, we expect some interesting trends and patterns. And from those trends and patterns, we'll be able to basically provide some take-home information, if you will, for anybody that participates. We're also interested in people that have conditions, again, like diabetes or Alzheimer's or IBD. It doesn't matter who you are, couch potato. We're, we're taking all comers. So the more diverse the crowd, the better. And everybody will have the opportunity in the questionnaire to provide all that information. For me, the most exciting thing is this. What is a natural or healthy microbiome? What is the optimal microbiome? And the answer is we don't know. And there may be several different compositions that are optimal. Jeff Leach, this makes me have one more question for you before we finish this conversation for today. That question is that it sounds like as a scientist and as a human being, you're curious how much doing this project, how much being curious about this might help the people who participate make healthier choices for themselves. Are you going to have some follow-up of some people to see whether six months or a year later, what kind of food diaries they would fill out and what their poop might show a year from now? Let's say we get 10,000 people to sign up, okay? From those 10,000, maybe we select a couple of hundred based on the data. We don't know what it'll be yet. We pick a couple of people that are willing that are willing to open up their lives for the next year, maybe two years, create an online food diary that can change their name and so on and so forth, share with the community their dietary and lifestyle habits, and maybe we analyze their gut microbiota once a month for two years, and then the whole community can watch these people. You know, we have American Idol or Dance with the Stars, and this could be Dance with the Microbes. I'll give you credit for that if we use it. Anybody can Google American Gut and find us. You can sign up between now and January 7th. Thanks to Shelley for that report. Jeff Leach is with the Human Food Project. And as he said, the deadline to sign up for the American Gut is January 7th. That's all for this edition of How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Thanks to Shelley Schlender for her headline contribution. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Square Pusher. Can't listen to How on Earth at our regular time? No worries. Just go to howonearthradio.org and subscribe to our podcast using the iTunes button. Questions? Comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Tom McKinnon. And I'm Jim Pullen.